honestly really wants, wants me to learn something, teach me something in, in all of this. So obviously it's unfortunate, but uh, I, think, I think God has specific purpose for everything that he allows to happen, everything that he does. I will say that, uh, and we just also start, just started getting back into playing football. Me and the teens, we, on Saturdays, we usually we play football. And honestly, every time, I just completely dominate. Um, <laughs> it's like... It's just unreal. I don't think I've ever lost. Uh, just, just. <laughs> so now, you know, it's, I'm going to be a little, I'm just going to have to channel my, I'm usually like DB, wide receiver. I get those interceptions and those touchdown catches. I'm going to have to channel my inner Tom Brady now. Okay, I'm just going to have to sit in that pocket. I can't move and throw the ball. So I'm, that's, so I'm still, I'm still on, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to toss the pigskin around, around the, around the yard. Okay, so, all right, enough of that. Um, so, guys, we're going through the book of Acts, all right, for our sermon series. Uh, and, if, man, we've been doing this for a while. Uh, it's, we're in Acts 21 today. Uh, what's, I just want to, I guess, fill you guys in a little bit on what's going on in Acts. Uh, the, story, the, the book of Acts, right, is, is the time, that, it's about 30 years or so that follows the time when Jesus ascended back to heaven, the Holy Spirit came, and now the church is being started, it's being planted all over the world, and from Acts chapter 9 is when this guy Saul, who is a persecutor, a murderer of Christians, when he becomes converted and he becomes a missionary for Christ, and from Acts chapter 9 onward, uh, Saul's name is changed to Paul, and he becomes the main, the central character of the book of Acts, and so in Acts chapter 20, uh, right before this, which Grayson preached on some of last week, uh, the Paul's basically he's kind of he's with the Ephesian elders, all right, and they have this just he's visiting the church there that he planted, and they just have this moment. And in verse one of twenty one, it says that uh, they Paul had to move on on his travels, and says that they were torn away from each other, and it's just a beautiful picture of the relationships that Paul had formed with his brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we're actually at this time now, we're, this is the wrapping up of Paul's third and final missionary journey. And we still have, uh, was it, six or seven chapters to go in Acts. And so now Paul is on a mission. He's on a mission to go to Jerusalem. Okay, so let's pick up here uh, Acts 21, uh, verse 7. So go ahead and open your Bibles there. Um, I'm going to read 7 through, what am I reading through? 14. So, when he had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Platomus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. I'm going to pause right there for just a second. It says Philip was one of the seven. Right, so may, maybe you're wondering what, what is, it's cool because the Bible just gives us clues all the time about what's going on. If you guys remember in Acts chapter 6, there were seven men selected to oversee uh, the distribution of food to the Grecian widows because there was a problem in the church. All right? and that, that would have been actually 25 years ago from the Acts chapter 6 till now. And it's really cool to see Philip that he's still, he's faithful so the apostles made a good decision, you know, of, of picking a guy who, was, who had a true, genuine faith. And it says he has four daughters who, were, who, were prophet, who prophesied. 
So Philip's doing well, and that's cool. That's encouraging to see that. Uh, so we just get a, a little insight into who, who is here, what's going on, and we'll see that with another character who pops up here in just a second. Uh, let's see, where am I? While we were staying, in verse 10, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own feet and hands, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. Pretty, pretty interesting event that just took place. Uh, one, so this other guy, before we get into that, this other guy, Agabus, right, he shows up. He's a, he's a prophet. Okay, and he prophesies to Paul. He takes Paul's belt off of him. It would, be, it would have been more like a girdle, like a long string. And he, and he ties it around his hands and his feet and says, this is how the Jews will bind the owner of this belt. So he's telling Paul, if he goes to Jerusalem, not going to go well. Okay? And, of course, disciples being in their right minds are like, Paul, don't go. <laughs> okay? That's bad. That's not good. And Paul's like, why are you breaking my heart? Really interesting response. This Agabus guy, he, he's, and he isn't just like some random prophet who just showed up. So Agabus actually has a prophecy in Acts chapter 11, uh, verse 26 and 27. He prophesies about a famine that takes, uh, takes place during the time of Claudius, one of the emperors of Rome. And uh, what's, you know, it just, it just kind of states it one sentence, like, all right, he prophesied about the famine during the reign of Claudius. And so I, I looked at that, and I was like, okay, so is that, I want to just know, like, did this really happen? Uh, so I, I did some research, and it was really cool to see that how many extra biblical, uh, meaning outside the Bible resources, I was able to find that documented this famine that took place during the time of Claudius. And it's just the history in the book of Acts is just amazing how accurate, uh, how reliable it is. And so I think the coolest, there was just multiple, but the coolest resource that I found in my mind was this guy named Suetonius, and he was a Roman historian. And he is, his most famous work is known as uh, the Twelve Caesars, in which he wrote 12 biographies of 12 of the emperors of Rome. And he was, he was actually born in 70 AD, so he was born shortly, about 30 years after. So he like lived during that time, um, and this was part of his historical account of the reign of Claudius. So Agabus is a legit prophet. He prophesied of a famine, and it happened. And now, okay, he's got street cred, and he rolls up, and he's like, Paul, this is what's going to happen. So, man, I would take this guy pretty seriously. Uh, you know what I'm really amazed at is... What do you guys think is going through Paul's head when he says, why are you breaking my heart? I think the NEB Bible translates it, why are you trying to weaken my resolution? And so Paul has this resolution. 
he's made this resolution. I looked up the definition of resolution. It means to make a firm decision to do or not to do something. And unfortunately, this we hear that it's not like a super popular word nowadays, I guess. Resolution, resolution, I don't know. I don't hear it that often, but I kind of know what it means. And unfortunately, it's kind of got, it sounds, nowadays it's just weak. It's like, my New Year's resolution. It's like, do you, does anyone remember their New Year's resolution? Does anybody still do? Like, it's not, it's just not really, a, that's not what it means to make a resolution, right? It's a firm decision. Um, and so, and honestly, that's part of the problem with uh, Christianity, with our culture, is, is the lack of resolution. And so that's kind of the thing that I really want to focus in on today, is just this amazing resolution of Paul. It's breaking his heart. He is so set on going to Jerusalem, and he knows he's going to suffer. And when his brothers and sisters in Christ are like, don't go, he's like, why are you trying to weaken my resolution? It's amazing. Where does this come from? And, that, and that's what we're going to really look at today. It's like, man, how does, how does he have this type of resolution, this type of conviction? Um, one thing that I see in, in our, uh, well, I, heard the, I read this quote uh, this week while I was preparing for this. I don't remember who said it, so I'm, I apologize to whoever said this. It says, true freedom is not enslaved to itself. Okay, and so it sounds kind of confusing, right? I thought about it. And it's this idea that true freedom is, is so, so maybe I'll, I'll show the opposite. Maybe that'll help better. Some people are so free that, they're, that they have, in the name of freedom, they have no self-control and no self-discipline, right? Because you've got to be free. So make impulsive decisions. That's, not, you're, that's in slavery. That's enslavement to emotions and impulsiveness. And so true freedom is not enslaved to itself. We ha our freedom allows us to have some self-discipline, some self-control when we need to exercise it. Uh, Paul in Galatians says we have freedom in Christ, but it is not to be used as an opportunity for the flesh. Um, so I also dug into the, the etymology, which is just the study of words and their origins, of the word decision. Really cool. The word decision, basically, and it's, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce the original, the Latin, because I'm just going to, so I'll tell you what it means in English. It, ha it has this very, uh, this undertone of to cut away. So if you think about decision or like incision, uh, there's, scission is a word that has a lot of times to do with cut. So when we make a decision, we have to cut something away or cut something off. And also, the word decide, okay, side, the root word, in Latin, it was to kill. So you got, you got homicide, genocide, suicide, like all these. That's where that comes from. So when we decide, we kill the other options. And that's, and that's what Paul is doing here. He's, he's destroyed the other options. Uh, it's like well, when, I, when I got married, I, I, not physically, but theoretically, killed all of my other options. Right of of having another partner, like no, this is my decision. Yep. I'm married now to my wife, Amen. and praise God for that. She's amazing. Uh, so let's let's dig in here to just where where does this resolution of Paul come from? Okay, so 
We're going to go ahead and jump over to uh, verse 27. We're going to skip a little bit. I hate to do it, but it's just like, man, there's like a sermon in like almost every verse. We, we just can't cover it all. Uh, but basically what happens in verses uh, 15 through 27 is, is, is there's, Paul has the, Paul's misrepresented by the public as being someone who teaches completely against the Jewish law, so it tells people that they should not and cannot do it. When that's not true, all, all Paul teaches is that you don't have to. You have, you have freedom in Christ under the new covenant. All these rituals and stuff, they do not have to be performed. But if, if, if you want to, you can. Right? If that helps you worship God, you can. But he's been misrepresented into saying that, no, I'm against this. So people are kind of freaking out when Paul comes, because this is Jerusalem, so all the... Most of the Christians in Jerusalem are Jewish converts. They have this background. They're deeply entrenched in the Mosaic Law in the Old Testament. And so Paul agrees to do this uh, Nazarite vow with a few of them. And, and this is to kind of just help his, his image. I'm just looking at the text to help his image with the Jews. Of All right, this Nazarite vow, it's a Jewish custom. He's going to participate in it and then pay for it uh, for these four other uh, Jewish Christians. And so he's doing that to, uh, well, one of Paul's main philosophies in his ministry is, I, I want to be all things to all men. To the, to the Jews, I became a Jew. To the Gentiles, I became a Gentile. Okay, so that's, that's what he's doing here. And also, I think this, this kind of goes back to what I said about true freedom is not enslaved to itself. Uh, I think it's interesting that Paul, because I've read commentaries and stuff, people are like, Paul shouldn't have done this. He's, he's a Christian. He, he doesn't believe in this stuff anymore, uh, that, that you need to do this, and which is true, but Paul wasn't, I guess, he wasn't enslaved to just that way, like, I can't do that, because he, he sees this as an opportunity to help people, and so he's going to take advantage of it. So he had, I'm sure Paul actually kind of struggled with this decision, like, because he didn't want to just keep encouraging people to follow the law. So he's given up some of his freedom because he has freedom to give up, right? If he didn't have freedom to give up, he wouldn't have been able to. He would have not been able to make this decision. Okay, so that's what's going on, and let's see, let's see what happens. Let's see how it goes. So let's pick up in verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul, and they dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to meet them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying, followed, crying out, saying, away with him. And we'll pause there. 
Okay, so it, it hasn't gone well. Paul's, this, this brilliant plan that he agrees to, to appease the Jews, as soon as they see him, they're like, get him. Let's just take him out. It's so funny that, because, like, get this. It says that because they had seen him with, uh, with a Gentile, what is it, in the, in the city, they assumed that this Gentile they saw in the temple was with Paul. It's like, wow, re- like, that's a reach. Just to say, yeah, we've seen you with Gentiles before. You probably brought him into the temple. So we're mad. <laughs> uh, so this plan's not going very well. And I want you to think about something here. Paul's reputation. Remember when, let's go, let's go way back near the beginning of Acts. When Paul first came to Jerusalem after his conversion, the Christians were scared because he, was, he had been killing Christians and persecuting them. And now we just fast forward 20 years, and now the Jews are scared when Paul shows up to Jerusalem. That's, that's, that's the Holy Spirit, Paul's life. Look at that. He hasn't, even, he hasn't spent much time in Jerusalem in the last 20 years, but look at how his reputation has changed. It's pretty cool. And one other thing I want to point out, that Paul is, is resolved, but it didn't make the situation easy. I think resolve helps. It, it totally helps us get through trials, through situations. But it doesn't just make them easy. Paul's resolution. I'm just going to uh, read this to you guys. You don't need to turn there. In Acts 19.31, this is where Paul decides that he's going to go to Jerusalem. So Acts 19.31 says, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. So right there, that's, that's where Paul says resolved in the spirit that he's going. So when all this stuff came up, Agabus prophesies to him, the disciples don't go. He's like, I'm going. I've already resolved in the spirit. And I, w- I want to look at a few verses here just to try to draw out some of, the, some of the themes, some of the things that maybe we can take away so that we can have uh, the same the same resolve that Paul has. So, if you guys could turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter three, uh, verse seven. And so, actually, there was I think it was the second song we sang today had some lyrics that came right would come right out of this passage, which I thought was cool. Okay, so, but whenever, excuse me, whenever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. There's a few things here that, that stick out to me about, that just give an insight, give, a, give a, a window into Paul's, his heart, his soul, about where his resolution comes from. He counts everything a loss for the sake of Christ, Christ but he, he goes a little bit further, he says, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Paul is saying, 
This is worth so much more than anything else. So when he makes that decision to kill or cut off other things, he's like, it's because this is worth it. This is worth more. I see, I see a deep admiration, a deep longing to be with Jesus when I read this. He, he strove. Actually, this, this, the rest of the passage, he keeps talking. He strives to, to maintain the upward call in Christ Jesus. Like he's, It's just something that he's going after. He's like, I want to know. Even if I have to suffer, let me, I want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to attain the resurrection of the dead. You know, he's, he's actually kind of mirroring Jesus' life in terms of going back to Jerusalem. Because Jesus, right, he, he ministered, and at the end of Jesus' ministry is when he's like, that's when the triumphal entry happens. And he's like, I'm going to Jerusalem. And also, Jesus knows what's going to happen when he gets to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify him. Uh, and so, you just... That's how much Paul loves Jesus, is he's, he's basically trying to be just like him. Uh, let's turn to Romans chapter 9. Oh, one thing, one thing I want to mention there is that the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Maybe that, maybe that doesn't make sense to you. I, I can say, I guess all I can say is this, is that, you know, I, I read my Bible like, Pretty much every day. You know, I miss a day every now and then, but I, but I read it every day. And Jesus never, I've read the Gospels, just, I've read them so, I've read them just tons of times by now. And Jesus never stops blowing my mind. I'm going back through Mark right now in my daily studies, and he just keeps blowing my mind. At the end of the Gospel of John, uh, John states that if there were, uh, how does it, I can't remember exactly how he phrases it. There was a library. Like, if we were to record everything that Jesus said and did, we couldn't build a library big enough to hold, hold the books that would be there. And so I just, I'm getting to, I get to experience that just through, like, these short little books in the Bible. It's cool. Uh, Romans chapter 9. So we see, we see another side of Paul here. This is, man, he wants to... We'll see why he wants to go to Jerusalem so bad. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. So I don't think Paul is lying. Let's just put it that way. I think he's being honest. That I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off for Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's talking about the Jews, because Paul is a Jew. That's where he came from. That is his heritage. And now maybe we can see why he wants to go to Jerusalem so bad. Because he wants to minister to the, to the Jews that so badly that he would, he's saying, I, I could be cut off. This Christ that he, that we can see that he loves so much, he's like, I, would, I'm, I might be willing to give that up for them to know the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. He has sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. There's just a profound love here. You don't just see this love and have this kind of love every day for even your kinsmen, even your brothers and sisters, even your immediate family. And so, 
a few of the theme, a few of the things that I that I see, and we're going to compare this to Jesus as well. Is that I th- think there's an understanding. Where does this resolve come from? I think there's an understanding of who God is. Right? Paul wouldn't. He wouldn't. Think these things and feel these things and go after these things in Jesus. If he didn't understand who God was, if he had no idea, it would just be, well, that would be weird if he did that. And then I think also there's an understanding of what lies ahead. He, he wants to attain to the resurrection. Part of his love for the Jews is knowing what lies ahead. If, if they're cut off from Christ, well, eternal salvation is not for them. So he understands the good that lies ahead and, and, the, and the bad that lies ahead. And then there's this, this profound love uh, that we see in Romans 9. And a profound love for Christ, which leads to this profound love for man. So we're going we're gonna to look at those things and also look at them and how they show up in Jesus' life. Because that's really where Paul gets his inspiration. It's from the life of Jesus. What stops us from being resolved? from making a firm decision. Uh, I, I thought of a, I got, there's a lot of things, but the, a few things I thought it really boiled down to is, is fear, number one, which really ties in with, with insecurity, and then the comfort of the flesh is an element. Comfort, like, I don't want to leave that. I, I, I know what I got here, I'm just, you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And what is life like when we aren't resolved? When we're not resolved? When, when, I, think with, I think there's always an element of uncertainty in life. Like, I mean, Paul, he was certain he was going to Jerusalem, but he wasn't sure what was going to, he knew he was going to be bound, but I mean, he, couldn't, he didn't know every detail along the way. You know, there's some uncertainty. But I think when we're not resolved, there's like this extremely large burden of uncertainty. And which, which causes a lot of anxiety and also causes us to wander aimlessly. If we don't have resolution, what are we really aiming at? What are we really going after? And what is it, to contrast that, what is it like when we are, when we have resolution? I, I think that gives great purpose. Like, Paul's on a mission. He has a purpose. He's like, I'm going to Jerusalem to tell my kinsmen about Christ. That's awesome. He has a purpose. You guys ever have days, times in your life, seasons in your life where you feel like you don't have a purpose? Or you just don't, you know you have one, but you don't know what it is? Man, those are hard times. There's, there's fulfillment. There's fulfillment in this because Paul, uh, when he testifies before uh, King Agrippa in Acts 26, he gives him his testimony. He says, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So there's like, there's fulfillment in that. When we, when we resolve and we follow through, there, there's a great fulfillment, a great satisfaction in that. And I think it doesn't leave regrets. I don't think, this went bad, but someday, ask Paul in heaven, like, do you regret doing that? What do you think he's going to say? No way. No way. I think of a, t- a resolution. This, this uh, one thing that I thought of was like during my days in the campus ministry, uh, sharing my faith on campus. That was one thing that sometimes was hard to have resolution about. 
Because this was, this was me a lot of times. I'd be like, all right, I see somebody. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my faith with them. Okay, so just walking up to them. Here's a church card. See ya. All right, I did it. I did it. Yes. It's like you have in your mind, like, what you're going to say. You're just going to share the gospel with them and then, like, Okay, or just walk by. Like I didn't. I had those days where, like, I walk by like twenty people in a row. Like, all right, this person. <gasps> okay, fine. I'll do the next person. I'll, I'll tell the next person about Jesus. <sighs> I didn't tell him. Like, what's going on? Um, so having, and then days where I have some resolution. It's like it's awesome. And I'm just like, all right, you know what? I'm gonna share my faith. And. and and that, there's terribly awkward moments when you do that, but it's worth it. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so the question that I want to ask, ask you guys is, is just what do you need to have resolution about in your life? Like, what have you been kind of waffling on spiritually? What boundary do you need to set up in your fight against impurity just to, to have some victory. What boundary do you need to set up that you're like, ah, you know, I know I really shouldn't be on electronics when no one's around. I know what, whatever that boundary, have some resolution. We're just waffling on our, in, in conviction there. What do you need to resolve to be open about? It's hard to be open about things we're ashamed of, about sin. You know, I'm, I'm doing Bible studies uh, with a brother right now uh, in the teen ministry, and he was just open about, well, he hadn't been open for a while, and then he finally opened up, and it was just powerful. And it, it was hard stuff, but it, it's like, man, God's going to reward that. Like with, It's just like the scales fall off people's eyes when they just open up. Well, what's, what's really going on? What, what, yeah, I, I that's enough. Uh, <laughs> What topic, issue, or question do you need to study out in the Bible that you've been putting off? So, like, there's, you know, we all, we all have questions. We all have doubts. And a lot of times it's uncomfortable, so we just avoid it, right? Like, oh, I don't really know why this happened in the Bible, so I guess I'll just not think about it. And I just think it's important for our faith that we go after those. Uh, I think uh, I think Ellen's a great example of this. She, well, I can, she did this talk a while ago. I don't even remember when it was, but she talked about questions in her faith and the Bible, and she just went after those. It was awesome. Don't don't shy away from that. Don't let don't shrink back. Don't let fear hold you back from these questions. It's okay to have questions. It's a good thing. What boundary do you need to set with entertainment, with television, so that you can get out of, or, or like bedtime, so you can get out of bed the next morning and have, your t- have some time with God? Like, man, we just waffle on that, and then it's like, oh, quiet time's out the window. Uh, our, our time with God, which I'll speak to a little bit about later, is, is, is so important. If we can't be resolved with these little things, like, we will falter. When, when, it's, when it's on the line, when life and death, when our families, when the next generation is, is on the line, we will falter. 
You know, someone who wasn't resolved in the Bible at a particular moment was Peter, right? Peter said, he actually said, I won't use the exact words that, that, that Paul says, I, even if I have to be imprisoned or die, I'm going to Jerusalem. And Peter said, Jesus, if I, all the way till death, I will follow you, right? And then Jesus is like, well, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And so, and actually, what happened, though? So why did Peter not have resolution in that moment? You know, because Peter's actually an awesome dude. He, he goes on to write First and Second Peter, just be an, an incredible missionary of the gospel. So this is a moment of weakness. You guys remember the, the night before? Well, I guess it would have been the, the time period right before he said that, that Jesus was praying in the garden and Peter was sleeping. I think prayer. I think prayer has a strong impact on our resolution. You know, Judas, he wasn't resolved. When he betrayed Jesus, what did he do? He took the money back. He said, I don't want it. He, he didn't have resolution about that. Rightfully so. But how about the resolution of Jesus? Man, we see in Matthew chapter 26, verse 46, when Jesus is praying, in the garden. Uh, I, I love this. He says, just, just look at it. He says, rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. There's three exclamation points in there. This, guys, you know what this reminds me of? This rem- reminds me of, like, pregame, like, we're talking NFL football, pregame locker room. Like, what's going on? Like, you know, dudes are slapping each other in the head, shoving each other. Like, yeah, yeah, let's go. It's time. It's game time. You know, they're going crazy. And it's like, I, that's what I feel like Jesus is doing right here. He's like, let's go. I'm ready. Because he, he, he's about to go to the cross. He had to come to some, res- this is where the cross was won. That battle right there. And I'm sorry, sisters, if that didn't connect with you. Maybe just think about like all wrapping your arms around each other and weeping. And I don't know, whatever. Like, what gets you hyped? <laughs> So Jesus has this moment. Man, this is where the cross was won. He prayed all night. Okay? Hebrews 12, 2. Another, another spot here. It says, it's funny, I actually forgot to put these in my notes. I'm reading off of the screen. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So this, this theme here, Jesus understands. Obviously, Jesus knows, knows who God is. It says all the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. He knows who God is, and he knows what lies ahead. The cross lied ahead, but the joy, the joy of being able to unite God's creation with God himself, that was the joy. You were part of the joy. Like, Jesus, man, when he was praying in that garden, I think he was, he was thinking about you. I mean, he had all night to pray. He can get through a lot of people. <laughs> the joy set, man, Jesus did that for the joy set before him. And it says he despised the shame. Like, he knew the shame was coming. Like, people were spitting on him. They were calling him names. It was just utterly humiliating. And he was just like, get, get off of me with the shame. Just, I don't Come, as you may. I don't care. 
I'm doing this for the joy set before me. I think, so a few things that this, that this really, that I see this comes down to is just an understanding of who God is. We can have resolve when we understand who God is. Secondly, when we understand what lies ahead, when we understand the resurrection, when we understand what's really waiting at the end of the road. No mind, uh, no eye has seen, no mind can comprehend what God has in store for those who love him. And a profound love. I think this profound love, it comes from knowing who God is. And it helps us have a purpose. It helps us have a mission. It helps us have an assignment with our life, have some purpose. And so I thought of a few practicals for how we can have resolution like this. Like, how, how can we? And a few things that I thought, and guys, it's, 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 if you've heard me, I guess, I don't preach all that often, but when I've, heard, when I've preached before, there's always, you know, three is just kind of the standard number, like three practicals, three points. That's just kind of a lot of times how it goes. Because you don't want to have too many, right? So I got three points, okay? And two of them are, I literally have the same two practicals in every single message that I probably have ever done, okay? And, but and here's what, I'll explain why. The first one is prayer, okay? You know, I, I also heard this quote or read this quote this week, and once again, I apologize to who said it. Uh, <laughs> it says, too many people aim at nothing, and they hit it. And if we're not praying, like, what are we aiming at? And, and, and maybe you've lost, the reason I talk about prayer in the next one preview is, is to have deep Bible study. The reason I, I, I talk about those things is because may, maybe you've just lost the purpose, the idea behind a quiet time. A quiet time is not for you to to. For you to have a, your conscience feel good enough to go about your day. It's not for you to check it off your list. It's not for you to say you're a Christian. It's, it's to know the, sur, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. That's what's really going on. You, you can't know God truly if you don't spend time with him, if you don't work on your relationship with him. I think a good thing to pray about is you know, maybe, maybe you're just kind of lost. I've, I've definitely had times where I'm just kind of lost in that shuffle, like, with my devotions. It's just like, I just don't really know what to, what, what to study, or maybe I just finished a study, and I'm in that little period, like, okay, what do I go to next? What do I need? Ask, ask God what you need to learn. Every time I've ever asked God, God, and just in all seriousness, in all sincerity, God, what do I need to learn? It's just like, it's just miraculous what, like, Amazon just ships a book to my house that's just like speaks directly to what I need, you know, or like, or I just open up my Bible and just like the verse just like slaps me in the face like 10 times. Like, man, God works through prayer. I, I, I have this quote. I know who said this one. E.M. E. Bounce. Okay, if you guys haven't heard of him, this dude he has, ba has taught me practically everything that I know about prayer. He's an author uh, from like the not even late 1800s, early 1900s, I believe. He says, when we calmly reflect upon the fact that the progress of our Lord's kingdom is dependent upon prayer, it is sad to think that we give so little time to this holy exercise. And 
I think it's true that the progress of the Lord's kingdom does not completely depend on prayer, but it's dependent on it. If there is no prayer, there is no kingdom of God. So spending time with God in prayer, the purpose is to know. Okay, so that, and that brings me to the second, deep Bible study. We got to have, when you resolve, you got to have something to go back to. Because there's going to come a moment, there's going to come a time, there might come not just a moment, but an extended period of time where you doubt the decision that you've made. So maybe you're in a place where you're doubting the decision to follow Christ. You've been following Jesus for a while, it's like, man, this is not what I thought it was. This is not going as good as I thought it was going to go. I am really struggling. You've got to go back to the scriptures. When Paul was, what do you think was going through Paul's head when he was, uh, you know, in this situation in Jerusalem, being beaten and thrown into prison? He probably was thinking about scripture. I mean, you, when we just, just, just knowing Paul's character and the things that he writes and the thing, and we see scenes of him in prison. They're singing hymns like, the dude is, is he's got his mind on God. You gotta have something to go back to. Uh, a verse that I really, guys, every time that I have to give a message, I get so nervous. Like, it is, the anxiety is, is it's, it's unbearable. Like, because honestly, I just worry about what people think about me. I worry about, honestly, the call, like, you know, the call to, to do ministry is, is something that I have uh, had on my life recently. And every time this comes up, I'm like, I'm supposed to preach Sunday. I'm like, wait a minute. Is that actually it? Is, this, is that the call? Because this is hard. <laughs> and I'm scared. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, you don't need to turn there. Uh, just in verse uh, 16 and 17, Paul's talking about the, being the aroma of Christ and how it's, uh, salvation uh, for those who are open to God, and it's, it's death for those who are not, for those who are perishing. And he says, but, and he asks the question, and he asks a rhetorical question, is who is sufficient for these things? No one. That's the whole point, is that no one is sufficient to carry the aroma of Christ. No, we don't, none of us deserve that honor. Jesus was sinless. He was perfect. And, and, but see, the thing is that Paul is carrying the aroma of Christ, and he knows it. He's like, I can't do this. And then it goes on to say, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So Paul, he goes back to his, his commission. When Jesus appeared to him and said, you will be a minister to the Gentiles, to the kings, and to the Jews. And, I, and I, just, I had to go back to that one. Man, I was freaking out. I had to just go back. It was like, you know what? I'm not a peddler of God's word. I, I'm as sincere as I possibly can be. I might not be skilled. I might not be whatever. But I'm going to do my best to be completely sincere. And then lastly, uh, trust. We have to trust God. And, and here's what I mean by that. A lot of times when it comes to having resolve, we, we can have paralysis by analysis, I think it's called. Yeah. Uh, we will never walk on water if we don't step out of the boat type of a thing. 
we just we analyze and we we're so and it, and a lot of times it's just it's good-hearted too. It's like I just really wanna I just really wanna make the right decision. I just really wanna do God's will. I really wanna do what's right. And and here's something that I've I guess learned from from the scriptures and just from experience in my own life is that God rewards faithfulness. Okay, so when we set out in faith, when Paul sets out for Paul set out for Jerusalem in faith, yep. right? Even though people were like, "No, no, don't go," he set that, set out in faith, and and he was blessed because of that, right? I mean, he was beaten, but he was blessed because Paul did experience. Well, Paul even says in in Second Corinthians. In chapter 12, when the thorns in his flesh, that he was caught up to the third heaven, and he, in order to not become conceited, he needed to have a thorn in his flesh. The dude had incredible intimacy with God. I, whew, if I could have that or see that, I mean, Moses seeing God like a friend, face to his face shone and it shined. It's, man, that's a that's a reward. In 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 Genesis, I believe it's 15. God tells Abraham, "I am your great and exceeding reward." Here's a scripture, uh, Psalm 147, 10 and 11. Just, you don't need to turn there. It says, His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Those who put their hope in God's unfailing love. God's unfailing love, meaning it will not fail. We put our hope in that. That's what God delights in. That's what he... That's what he blesses. It's kind of, I was, I was talking with uh, a brother about like God's will and, and how does it work. And, you know, one of the things that kind of came up in our conversation is that it's that an analogy, I guess, we kind of came up with. Is that it's, and you know, this is just, this could be true, this could be not true. It's, I feel like it's kind of like a river. And the river is always it's going towards its destination, right? And sometimes you end up near the left bank. Sometimes you end up near the right bank. Sometimes you just smack right into a rock right in the middle. But if, if we're faithful, we can stay in that river. I think it's when we decide, you know, when we get out of the river, we're just like, I'm done. I'm, I'm, I'm not going where this river is going. I'm out. You know, that's when we really, we go against God's will. I, God just rewards the faithful faithfulness of his people and he's rewarded uh he's rewarded me for my faithfulness when i when i moved to eau claire on a few weeks notice in faith that was it all i was i i did i led the campus ministry for one year that was an incredible year man that and and you guys i don't say just i thank you guys because i was a, a vulnerable young man and you guys took me in and just helped me tremendously. And, you know, that's, it was a big part of the process of just becoming who I am today. So God rewards faithfulness. So decisions are hard. We have to cut something off. We have to kill something. But if you do it truly in a heart of faith and you, and you seek advice and you pray and you study it out in the Bible, we have to come to a decision at some point. And when we make that decision, we have to have resolution. And God is going to God's going to show you if your decision is wrong. And he's going to do it gently. He's going to do it 
kindly. I, there, I mean, I've totally made wrong decisions, and God was like, I fell flat on my face. God was like, yeah, yeah, you need to pray a little bit more about that one next time. <laughs> but it's like awesome, I learned. And, and, and God just helped, he helped me up, and then he helped me continue. And that's really how God is towards our faithfulness. And so, guys, I hope that today's lesson can help you have some resolution in whatever it is that you're wrestling with, you're struggling with, uh, in your faith and your walk with God. So uh, let's uh, end uh, with a prayer, and then we'll have a contribution and announcements. Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you, God, for who you are. We pray that we'd understand who you are, what Paul prayed, that... Uh, we would know uh, the height and the width and the depth of your love, God. Because I, I see the way it changed, Paul. I see the way it's changed the men of the Bible, the men and women of the Bible. I see the way that it's changed the people in this room, the people around me, God, that inspire me. And pray that we would, I know, God, I need resolution in a few areas of my life that, so badly, God. Pray that you give us the strength to make a firm decision and to cut off. Uh, our outs, our back doors, uh, our waffling, Lord. So may we glorify you, God, with, with our hearts, with our prayers, with our worship, with the lives that we live. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.